0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So in the Bible, and in particular in the New Testament, We hear a word that is thrown around uniquely by Jesus and Paul and some of the various other gospel writers, and that's the word church. Jesus mentions it while he is living on the earth before heading to the cross. Paul writes the majority of the New Testament as letters written to various churches around the Roman Empire. And in the book of Revelation, when Jesus appears to John in order to give him a grand revelation of how everything's going to end he first pauses to tell John to write seven letters to seven churches. What we don't have described is the mega church, and yet our culture is currently full of them. And so I'd like to take some time in this episode and the next episode to discuss the relevance of the mega church, both biblically and historically, as well as culturally and currently, and uh, to do that, I've invited uh, a special guest here with me. I have my good friend Brandon, who is a has his degree in philosophy, is not a Christian, but has a lot of experience dealing with megachurches. So Brandon, welcome to the show. Sean, thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Thanks for coming. So megachurches, before recording this, you and I have done a little bit of research in talking about some of the history of it and something that we found is that megachurches are a relatively new phenomenon, or at least the term megachurch is a relatively new phenomenon starting back in the 1800s. But perhaps we should get into first, is it unbiblical to have a megachurch? And my answer to that would be no, because it's the Bible doesn't describe church as large or small in the New Testament. There, there isn't any indication that a church should be a maximum size or should meet a minimum size. What I would say is that it comes down to a church should be operating biblically, should be operating within the guise and the guidance set forth by Jesus, by Paul, by some of the other apostles that talked about church life and how congregants, uh, and
1: even more specifically followers of Jesus, should act in a church setting. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with that. The, the megachurch, we definitely have to you know, ask... Uh, what is what is the end to use you know some some Kantian uh, terminology, uh, and and you know like what is the duty of of the megachurch? But most importantly, like what is a what composes a, a megachurch? You know, I mean, a, a church is composed of its of its congregation of the people who you know go there and uh, seek clarity, spiritual clarity, or answers. You know, if you have a, a leader who is solely focused on their own public image and not so much with the gospel, then yeah, in that case, you are doing, if, if you are, you know, the, the, the minister, you're doing yourself an injustice by not being true to what it is that you're doing, but you're also having a hand in leading these people astray, so to speak, because people do go to church, like I said, to seek spiritual clarity or to, you know find a way to kind of soothe or or soften the you know the 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 negative ramifications of like you know being alive and by that i just mean that let's just face it living is is hard as it is you know especially with everything that's going on nowadays and people need something to anchor themselves to to in order to again, to use the word clarity, to to find that clarity, to find what it is that you find comfort in. And for a lot of people, it is, it is scripture. I mean, not for me personally, but you know, I mean, for, (laughs) for, uh, uh, you know, yourself and your wife and, you know, other people that you know as well. Sure. Yeah. I I think scripture then has to be central to the,
0: doctrine of the church but really also the lifestyle of the church you, yes. you touched on something that I think perhaps many listeners will actually resonate with it's something that I resonate with having worked at a church right. and now still even attending that various church. is what you often see is because a lot of times megachurch is put on a show there's a lot of times a lot of investment into production, into videos, into lights, into bands and strips, and, you know, shows, essentially. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, there's, there's the really production. no other way to say that. Yeah, exactly. There's no other way to say that other than production, that sometimes it's that gospel message or that scriptural truth that gets lost in the weeds in pursuit of, uh, and, and, you know, for maybe for well-intentioned reasons. Maybe it's not just a pastor seeking fame. Maybe it's a pastor seeking the welcoming of congregation to feel more comfortable as they would feel comfortable going to a play or going to a movie, you know, but, but that does have a damaging effect. And so maybe this is actually a good point in the show for you to even say a a brief amount of your story and and, and your experience with the megachurch, because it was a megachurch that kind of drove you away from the faith growing up, right?
1: Yeah. um, Not, not necessarily, you know, the... (laughs) The, the church or let's say like the building itself. So I grew up going to a mega church that seated well over three thousand people. I think it's like thirty six hundred or something like that. But I never really felt I never really felt comfortable, you know, like walking in because I, I just felt like there was something lost in all of like the flash that was like the the white marble floors and the you know fifty foot screens in the main auditorium and. And all of that stuff but it was also a lot of the hypocrisy that I also witnessed that that existed you know in in that community so that is that's mainly what it was that that drove me away and now I I will concede that you're not gonna find like that that same thing in, in every megachurch that that you go to I mean they're they're very diverse you know and I mean some of the research that that we that we were like looking at was sort of comparing the the mega church to like a mall in the sense that malls are are almost everywhere, you know. I mean, if you need to buy clothing or something, chances are that you're most likely going to like go to the mall and sure, yeah, the, the mall is the yeah, one-stop yeah, yeah. shop. exactly. It's it's yeah. uh, you know, they have most of your your clothing needs or whatever it is that you that you're shopping for. But that is the goal of the mega church to provide those spiritual needs or that that spiritual comfort. But, it, you know, it, it has to be coming from, from the right place. If you're doing it just for the status or whatever it is, I mean, like, we, like how we had mentioned earlier as well, you know, we're living in the technological age. Anyone can be famous, you know, like you can put yourself on YouTube. You can put yourself on a number of these platforms and be recognized by millions of people. Uh, Right, yeah, this is an
0: unprecedented age. It is very unprecedented. You can be famous before you die. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which was very rare historically, but now we live in the age where it's it's attainable. It is very attainable. I mean, if you go out and... Dance the right dance on TikTok, which I think is still a thing. <laughs> it might be banned at this point, at, at the point that you're listening to this podcast. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it, it, it takes a 20 second video now to possibly make you famous. Exactly. It, it's a lot more attainable. And it's a goal that a lot more people have. And so, you know, I, I think to your previous point on hypocrisy, I think it's when that becomes a goal of a church to attain celebrity pastor status as is unfortunately a term in our day and age (laughs) right um when that becomes the goal of the pastor i think often you see the behaviors of the
1: congregants follow exactly absolutely absolutely you know and it's it's only natural because we are human and this this minister this pastor is very much a figurehead who is supposed to sort of be the uh the sage showing you, you know, the, the way to living a righteous, uh, and pious life. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you speak from a
0: biblical context, right? The pastor acts as the stand in shepherd, right? right. Where, where you have Jesus being the, the good shepherd, the, the figurehead leading the sheep, right? Uh, when he restores Peter at the end of the gospel accounts, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. he says, well, Peter feed my sheep. Right. And he does Yet. this three times and three times. He says, feed my sheep. Uh, and then he tells Peter, like, when you were younger, you went where, where you wanted to go. But when you are older, I will guide you where you should go. And of course, we know that Peter then uh, becomes the lead pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. We right. know that from Acts. And Peter preaches uh, in the same way that the, the good shepherd Jesus led, which was through Scripture. Right. It was through right. the truths that God imparted to man. Uh,
1: and then Jesus himself being the fulfillment of those truths. Right. Yeah, that does bring up a good point. And it comes down to the congregants. It's not the size of the building. It's not the amount of, of of chairs that you have in, you know, your auditorium or how big your screens are or what your floors look like. Nothing like that. It it all comes down to the mm. the participants, the people that you have, you know, going because the congregation is a church, because the congregation, you know, is responsible for for funding the mission and i think that
0: just going even back to can can that be useful can three thousand people gathered in the name of jesus wanting to follow scripture be useful in culture and society and i think absolutely yes it can you know Uh, back to our, our research finding uh the church that Charles had in Spurgeon pastored in England, right. uh, you know, we, we found some of the the charities of that church, right? The orphanages that Charles Spurgeon started, right? The the prison rehabilitation program that they started, right? We we look at D.L. Moody's church in Chicago, and you see, you see a hundred years of charity to that area, right? You see a hundred years of serving the community, uh, but then, you know, I even think historically on some of the larger larger catholic churches which of course christianity was birthed out of in the protestant movement as, right. as we currently know protestant christianity uh, but you have stuff like the crusades that happen, and i'm not saying that's directly responsible because <laughs> there was a mega church right but when you have a large gathering of people with good motives you can see good things happening when you have a large gathering of people with bad motives you can see bad things exactly happening. exactly and
1: some of it does come down to Two motives. Um, I know, like, for instance, uh, the place where I work, I've been, this is just an example, um, I've been approached by people who are, you know, involved in multi level marketing schemes or MLMs for short. And, you know, or pyramid schemes or pyramid for schemes. everyone else's understanding. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> people who have approached me often tend to be very nice, very cordial. They say, hey, Brandon, you know, I, I, I think we should, you know, get together and get some coffee sometime. You seem like a you know, interesting person or whatever, you know. So I go, we meet up, I get coffee, and next thing you know, I'm being offered a position to unload a thousand boxes of smart blueberries or something. I don't know, something <laughs> something weird like that, right? But see, like, the motive to of actually getting me there was uh Ah uh, it was guised. It was it guised, was guised. As a it relationship was guised.
0: building conversation or something. Exactly, yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. When you actually like become cognizant of like what it is that's going on, the situation at hand, you you can feel a little uh, a little violated because you you think that this person is just wanting to, you know, build up a relationship, be your friend. It is uh then you get there and it's something completely different. That's not very conducive to to building a, a a relationship with that person, just as you know, if you have a, a a leader who is really really adamant on the congregation tithing,
0: that and that was the example I was just thinking of when you were saying yes, that too, yeah,
1: yes. Um, well, well, why why is it that that? like I need to do that or why is it that we need to do that? I mean is it is it solely for the for the purpose of funding the mission which should ultimately be to get the gospel out to as many people as possible? And in that sense, you know, having 4000 seats or having 16000 seats is useful absolutely because you you know that shit that is your job. You know, that is what God wants.
0: Well, I actually I'm going to stop you there sure. because I I actually don't think The mission of any church should solely be to get the gospel out to everyone. What should it be then? So, (laughs) I I realize this is weird coming from the Christian conversation. (laughs) But uh, I think it should be the perhaps response to the message of John the Baptist prior to Jesus entering the scene. Right? John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, when we look at the letters of Paul, the commandments, or maybe not commandments, but the uh, instructions that Paul, that Jesus and, and John and Peter and James and all of the writers of the New Testament give to Christians, what we find isn't just preach the gospel, isn't just save a bunch of people, but it's also to increase a quality of life for people particularly the Bible says this often, the orphan, the widow, the fatherless, and the needy. For God identifies specifically with them, right? So I think that the the main goal of a church isn't just save a bunch of souls, have an altar call, have a gospel event, and then say, good luck, figure your life out on your own. I think it is to bring about days of heaven on earth, right? right. Which is what uh, Reverend Martin Lloyd-Jones defined as revival. He said it was days of heaven on earth or God's hand moving on earth. And and the church is supposed to be the initiator of that, right? Right. So then what that really should look like is the church initiating social reforms. Maybe through programs, right? And I'm not saying programs like, you know, come join our Knitters for Christ program every Tuesday (laughs) night. If you knit in the name of Jesus, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that that's not the main goal of the church. Don't sell super blueberries (laughs) for Christ. Right. Um, But how about... There's homeless people in our city. Let's, as a church, tackle this issue. You know, if we're going to tithe for something, this is our mission. Or, hey, we know that people are sex trafficked in our city, right? Let's find someone with resources and let's tackle this as a church in the name of Jesus, right? Right. Or, uh, hey, we know the educational program in our city isn't what it should be. Let's open up tutoring classes for math and science and English and various things as a church because we want to... Not only save our city, but serve our city. You know, and, and so I think perhaps even a, a good question to ask when you enter a city or, or you look at a mega church is, does your culture look
1: different for the mega church being there? That yeah, that that's a that's a a, a good question. You know, you posited a, a a very very interesting clause. So where I'm from and the mega church that is located in my city does a lot of community work. You know, they have. Mm-hmm. Food banks. They have clothing drives. They have, uh, you know, I'm not too sure if they still do it anymore. But I remember when I was growing up, they used to do a uh, uh, toy drives for you know the the less fortunate families that lived in 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 the city, uh, which I always thought was very very noble and very a uh, very honorable thing is yeah. is giving back. Mm-hmm. you know. However, <laughs> it seemed to me, at least in retrospect, that there was some kind of ulterior motive. There was some kind of underlying mm-hmm. factor, you know, whether it was to get this church's name out there. And, and you know, I, I was like wondered for, for what cause was it to, to put more people in seats, you know, for for monetary purposes? Or is it a genuine care for your fellow human being? These are definitely things that are like valid and that we should explore and we should definitely be asking ourselves and not so much as just taking in you know things blindly like oh you know pastor whoever is such a noble man he gave you know fifty thousand dollars to cancer research that's great for pastor james but you know maybe pastor james was doing it for like a tax write-off purpose or something like that you know i mean like um, no, that's a very valid point, yeah. <laughs> it, at least be honest about it is my thing. Well, yeah, and, but... and so, so you,
0: you brought that up. It actually made me think of two things. I think, number one, if, to your previous point, getting the gospel out, if doing charity is more important than getting the gospel out, it becomes religious pious. Right. It becomes a, re- a religious duty in which you say, well, I am probably good with God because I served my duty. I gave X amount of toys last year in the toy drive. Uh, God's word doesn't matter, you know, getting scripture right doesn't matter. I can be as judgmental in my personal life as I want, or I can be, you know, as loose or, or you know, given to X, Y, and Z sin as much as I want because I gave X amount of toys or I, you know, served in the food bank X amount of hours. And so, you know, that, at, at when you first said that, I, it made me think of religious pious, but then when you kind of drove your point a little further on motives for uh, Pastor James, Pastor James, if you're listening, uh, we have nothing against you. We're using you as a hypothetical metaphor. We Um, might, though, (laughs) depending on your motives. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We will judge you by the content of your character. Exactly. Um, (laughs) uh, No, but but when you brought that up, thinking about the ulterior motive of
1: getting your name out. Exactly. And if you were coming from a place that is just seeking recognition, that means that you're holding on to something, right? You're holding on to your pride. Yeah. Right? And, you know, Sean, you've touched on pride how many times? Once, twice? Something like Something that. Something like I mean, that, right? I mean, we talk about... I deal about with pride, so we, yeah. I, I try to touch I on mean, it personally every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I know that we talk about pride a lot, right? So much that we've actually had full conversations, and I'm actually going to pull out my phone right now to uh, kind of... <laughs> is this blackmail, or are you pulling out a record of our conversation? <laughs> a little bit Which of is both.
0: blackmailing me over my podcast is not a nice thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I,
1: I, I wouldn't blackmail you, Sean. So here, okay. So you texted me. You said theory, Poland. Pride is anti-grace, right? So can you go ahead and define grace one more time? Sure. Yeah. Um.
0: Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. Unmerited right? un-deserved grace favor, is right. just what it implied. Just what I implied there. It's showing favor to someone who doesn't deserve it, right? And favor then isn't pity, right? Favor isn't um a be, uh, being generous because you see them as beneath you right? Right. favor that's is mercy. showing them as equal and also favor is not showing them as above you because then you're actually <laughs> going back into pride right exactly. if, if you're saying oh you know this homeless man is so much better than me i'm so woke um <laughs> i'm not i'm not judging you if you're woke if you're woke that's great but what it says is you know this homeless man or this person from prison or or this uh, like Jesus, prostitute, right, is equal with me. Yes. And therefore, I am showing them favor, right? I, I am treating them as I would treat my equal, as I would treat a blood relative, as I treat
1: my brother or my sister, right? Right, right. So on the extreme, you have basically idolatry. But back to mega churches. Um, well, I... <laughs> to...
0: I actually do want to hone in on what you just talked about. Yeah. I think it's actually really great because what you just got at was the premise of the gospel, right? Yes. Um, the premise of the gospel is that grace. And when you think of the mega church treating people, grace should be the defining characteristic of treating people. Yes. And grace elevates everyone else around you to a godly status, right? Because again, grace treats everyone as equal and so grace acknowledges the fact that That the Bible says all men are created by God idolatry and pride do not acknowledge that because idolatry and pride at the end of it do not have that end goal of the gospel do not have that end goal of grace and so what you actually end up doing when pride drives a church endeavor more than grace does people are a means to an end when grace drives it more than pride people are the end in yes, of themselves right everything else all the resources all of the cash all of the influence all of the advertisements all of the charity all of that is the means to the end with the end being people serving people loving people being gracious with people and I'm actually uh, gonna stop us for our discussion on this episode. I think we've had a pretty great discussion thus far on generally and kind of historically philosophically what the megachurch does, but uh, in two weeks let's talk more about specifically the megachurch and the impact and culture and the impact on people that it has. Uh, I hope we, I hope neither of us have offended you this episode very much and that you will tune in in two more weeks when we drop an episode on megachurches currently today in, in our culture and in our, in our climate and their usefulness. Any, any last words you have to say, Brandon? <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of last words that I could say. But Great. Tune in in two, two weeks Yeah, in <laughs> two weeks you get to hear them. As always, thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed the show.